Hello and welcome to another Source Property Podcast. This is podcast number four in a series of seven all about assisted sales. So in number four, what we're going to talk about is how you fund an assisted sale. And as ever, I've got with me Abby Tomlinson, one of our support team at Source. Hi, Abby. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yes, I'm good, thank you. Are you excited about talking funding for assisted sales? I'm really excited about talking funding. So let's see what we can teach everyone. Okay, fantastic. So the first thing that we need to talk about, we've talked about the structure, we've talked about lots of detail about an assisted sale. So exactly what do we need funding for? Let's address that first, just to make sure that everybody is absolutely clear what we're trying to finance with this podcast. So Abby, what exactly is it that we need funding for with an assisted sale? When you're looking at an assisted sales strategy, the part that will need the funding is finding the costs for the refurbishment or the works that are going to be done to the property in order to create the uplifting value. Exactly right. So however it is that we're adding value to this property, that is what we're looking to fund. If it's something that makes the property unmortgageable, that's what we're looking to remedy. If it's refurbishment and that's the reason why the property hasn't sold, that is what we're looking to fund. So when you work out how much profit you're going to make, then you're going to be taking out all of those upfront costs of purchasing the property. Like what's the biggest cost that you can think of, Abby, that we are not going to have to fund in order to make money from this property? The biggest cost is going to be stamp duty, Chris. I mean, you can take that out of the equation, the legal fees, all of those sorts of things that, you know, if you had to pay them may then not make the deal as profitable. But if you don't have to include those, then that's where you get your profit. That's exactly right. So, I mean, just think about taking away stamp duty. That in itself might make this property worth your time, worth looking at. It might make this deal work. Whereas if you had to fund the stamp duty as well, and you had all those upfront costs, then that might take the profit out of the deal. Now, what you've done by understanding this strategy is made more properties open to you actually investing in them and you making money out of them. That's the important thing. So let's go through the normal sales process, the normal conveyancing process before we start talking about funding, just to make sure that everybody's up to speed and everybody knows where we stand. So in the normal conveyancing process, I'd say that there are three main stages. So do you want to talk us through them, Abby? Yeah, the three stages of the normal conveyancing process would be, obviously, you'd put in the offer and have your offer accepted. You'd then work your way through to exchange through the legal process. And then the final part is completion. And that is when you would draw down the funds for the purchase of the property. And that's really important, right? You need to get to completion before you're able to draw down the funds because it's only on completion that you will own the property. And therefore, the first time that a mortgage company or a bridger is going to lend you money on the property is when you actually own it. So therefore, you need to own the property so that they can take the first charge security out against the property for you to borrow that money. So how does that fit in with the assisted sale and how do things change with the assisted sale then? So with an assisted sale, you don't at any stage own the property yourself. So therefore, you couldn't go down the route of borrowing funds from a usual lender because obviously you wouldn't own the property and therefore they wouldn't be able to have the first that first charge security on that property. So what you're saying is that we can't raise funds in the usual way. So this podcast is how to fund an assisted sale. And we've just told you that the majority of ways that you know of to fund an assisted sale, you're not able to do. So who have we just taken out of the equation already? It's only the first five minutes. Who have we taken out of the equation for funding an assisted sale? Well, we've taken out the equation. I'll name two and you name two, Abby. Let's play a game, see if we can get all four of them. Okay. Peer-to-peer finance, because we're a peer-to-peer lender. So peer-to-peer finance wouldn't lend without the first charge security on completion. 
And a bridging company wouldn't lend without the first charge security on a completion. So now your turn. You can name another two. I think you pick the easy ones, Chris. I don't think that's a very fair game. That's uh, why I went first, Abby. Yeah, I can I can tell that. A mortgage company wouldn't lend the funds again because they wouldn't have the first charge security. I'm going to throw it back at you for the fourth one, Chris. A commercial mortgage company also would need first charge security. And I know there's going to be some people that are listening that are saying you don't necessarily need first charge security if you're going to get peer-to-peer funds or if you're going to go for a bridging company to get funds. You're right, you can get second charge security. There are lots of different ways that you can get funding. However, you do still need to go through completion in order to get funding from the big four ways of securing funding against the property, which you're not going to be able to do because, as Abby said, you're not actually going to go through completion. So what's left, Abby? What can we do? Well, you have got options available to you. Those options are either to fund the works yourself, so you can put your money in yourself, or you can JV with an investor who can bring the funds to the project and then they will fund the work that needs doing. Excellent. So the first thing that you need to bear in mind when somebody says about making money out of property and then understanding how you're going to make money out of property, you realize that you need to fund it yourself. The first thing that you're worried about is paying that deposit to buy the property in the first place. Well, that's another charge that you don't need to stump up in an assisted sale because you're not buying the property, right? So the only thing that you need to fund is that refurbishment, that uplift, that adding value to the property, which might make this much more achievable to the majority of people because you could do that from 10, 15, 20,000 pounds, which is not as completely out of the question for you to have that amount of money in your bank account than it is to have to pay the 25% deposit and then pay this money to add value to the property as well. So immediately this makes this strategy much more accessible to the majority of people because you need less money in order to make money from the capital uplift. So that's if you're going to pay for it yourself with cash. So how do you go about finding a JV investor? What do you mean by that exactly? You know, find an investor that's willing to put into the project. You'd need to show them what the potential uplifting value could be. Of course, you'd need to explain to them completely and make sure they understand what the process is and what the agreement is that you would be entering into with them. And you have that JV agreement drawn up. So as a general return, what kind of thing is an investor looking for? Because presumably what they want to do is they want to invest in a property deal and they want something back from that. So what are investors looking for for this kind of thing? This kind of thing, you'd look at a fixed return of um, 20% into the deal would be an ideal situation, really. And there are plenty of people out there that are interested in that kind of thing? Absolutely. We've got a huge database full of investors. So there's absolutely people out there who would be willing to invest into this type of project. As we've said on previous podcasts as well throughout this series, that the actual time frame as well of, of doing the project, it's not something that an investor is going to be putting funds in and having to hang on for 18 months to get their return. It's really a very quick process. And of course, because we talked about the contracts that we put into place, the investor still has security against that property right. So do you want to remind us which contract it is that gives the investor that security? Yeah, Chris, absolutely. It's the RX1, which puts a restriction against the property for the value of what the investor has put in. Exactly. So the investor has got security knowing that if somebody sold that property, they're going to get their money back. So the investor is going to get a return for putting their money in. They know they've got security for their money. So where are you going to find these investors? Are they everywhere? Is everyone open to this kind of thing? Will they do due diligence? What's going on with these investors? Where do I find them? The investors will do their due diligence. But at the same time, you need to make sure that you're presenting them 
with a really good opportunity and they can see that you've done all your checks, you've done all your due diligence before you bring the opportunity to them. All our franchisees have access to a big investor database. One of the benefits of signing up and buying a franchise with Source is that we have over 100,000 investors on our books. They're all there just waiting for them to share the opportunities. It's also really important to build your community and your brand on social media and continue to grow that. If you're putting out on social media exactly what it is that you're doing people are going to be interested and they're going to want to follow you and therefore you're going to open up so many doors for potential investors and jv partners let's look at an example so let's say that you're looking at a property that is worth two hundred thousand pounds and the refurbishment of that property is going to cost seventy five thousand pounds so a fairly substantial refurbishment but once that refurbishment is done the property is worth three hundred and fifty thousand pounds let's say you use an investor for all of that money on a fixed return of 20% per annum. But 20% per annum, if you're on a six-month deal, means that you've only got to pay them back 10%. So the investor puts in £75,000 and they get back £82,500. The property is worth £350,000. So the first thing you've got to do is pay the vendor of the property their £200,000. Then you pay the investor back £82,500 and you're left with what's left. And what's left is £68,500. And you've done that exactly by using the contracts that we've said about. And you found that property by following the guidance that we've given you in the previous podcast about where to find assisted sales from. So you've generated £68,500 worth of profit without using any of your own money. This has been completely no money down from your point of view because you've used that investor. The investor walks away happy because they've got their 10% over six months. The owner walks away happy because their property is finally sold. The estate agent walks away happy because they've managed to sell the property and they're going to make their commission. And you walk away happy because you've just made a huge amount of money. So now you've done your first assisted sale by finding a JV partner to put the money in. You've now got £68,500 sitting in your bank account. Now you can do your second assisted sale without that JV investor. Now you're going to make even more money because you don't have to pay them back their 10% or 20% per annum that you did on the first deal. And you continue to do that. You continue to find those deals and you'll make more and more money. Build in the pot of money that you have, which opens you up to doing bigger, better, more exciting deals in the future. Now, we've got an example uh, that we're going to talk about in the next podcast, which is all about Nadia in London doing an assisted sale following exactly this process and using a JV investor and making money out of the deal. So when you find a JV investor, Abby, is there another way that you can structure the deal rather than just using a fixed return? There is another way, Chris, that you can structure the deal with a JV investor, which is by putting them on a, a variable contract. What you need to bear in mind, though, if you go down this route, is that they need to be a sophisticated investor. And that is under the FCA 13.3 regulation. So you do need to bear that in mind if you're going to go down the route of it being a variable contract. What we mean by a variable contract is you're going to profit split. So you're going to have 50% of the profit each. And you don't know exactly what that profit is going to be. So it could be variable. However, what we talked about previously was a fixed return of 20% per annum or 10% over six months. So that's how those two things differ. And a variable return needs to be compliant with FCA guideline 13.3. Exactly right. So thanks very much for listening to this podcast all about how to fund an assisted sale. We'll look out for you in the next podcast, which is all about Nadia's example of an assisted sale and how that worked. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you soon. 